Hey Marvelites, it's me, Jasmine. And before we get started with this week's show, I wanted to let you know that this year's Expode is back. Starting today, you can cast your vote for the final member of the X-Men. Choose between Jubilee, Juggernaut, Prodigy, Dazzler, Cannonball, and Frenzy over at marvel.com slash X-Men vote. And be sure to stay tuned to This Week in Marvel for a bonus episode featuring all of this year's candidates' attack ads. Voting is open now until February 3rd at 11.59 p.m. Eastern. And remember to choose wisely. Your decision will only have an everlasting effect on the X-Men and the world at large. No pressure. Once again, head to marvel.com slash X-Men vote. Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to Marvel's Pull List for new Marvel Comics on sale February 1st, 2023. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Jasmine Estrada. The M Woo! stands for mice. I had a uh, an apartment in Bed-Stuy 17 years ago, and mice were just, like, chilling out, living in the oven. Um, it was a new construction, real piece of crap but uh hey long live the mice and long live marvel comics because this is the official marvel podcast for marvel comics where we give you some details and reasons to check out all the new comics every flipping week we'll give you our three personal picks for the week although this week we had some debates putting together our list because uh, there's a lot of good books and we're going to get into that in a bit because we're going to talk about every other issue out this week. We'll pick a favorite non-spoilery reason for you to check out that issue by, we'll give it an award. And that award is pulled from a quote in the comics this week. We'll run through the new Infinity Comics, those scrolling vertical exclusive comics you can only read on Marvel Unlimited, plus some highlights for other comics that are new to Marvel Unlimited this week and some picks on the collections out this week. <gasps> And on top of that, what else, Jasmine? We are going to be talking to Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly. Uh, it's going to be a two-parter because we've got a lot of good stuff here. Um, it's not necessarily just a reading club. We're going to be talking about Captain America, Sentinel of Liberty, Revolution, issues one through six. It's the first arc in their Captain America run. But it's also kind of a like behind-the-scenes, like director's cut type interview, which I think is going to be really fun to hear next to the reading club. So excited for that. It was, it was great. No, they're, they're sweet boys. Uh, I'm very excited for them to continue their rise. Um, but we're not going to talk about them too much more just now because we have a lot of books to get to and a ton of emails and other um, community posts to get to. It was a really great week for that. I was very, very excited. So let's dive into our picks of the week. I'm going to start things off with Dark Web finale number one. Of course, that's what we're talking about. And this is the big it's in the title, End of Dark Web, the crossover between the X-Men and Spider-Man. Um, I will say one thing. If you're going to read this and Venom, read Venom before you're reading this, if you're reading both. Because uh, Venom does feed into what's going on here in the finale. That said, this is written by Zeb Wells, pencils by Adam Kubert and Francesco Montalino, with Scott Hanna, color by Frank Martin and Guru EFX, and lettered by VCs Joe Caramagna. I mentioned Adam Kubert. Adam Kubert, Adam freaking Kubert. I, I love him like in a number of ways, but every time we get a book of his, I'm just like, I want to shake the comic and somehow shake Adam because how is he still so good? 35, 40 years into his career. Oh man. Uh, there's a ton of great moments in here. There's a, a really cool moment 
early on where the uh, where King Chasm and uh, Hallow's Eve are walking into New York City with their giant group of uh, of demons. And they're just like, let's give them a parade. It's this really cool, big splash page. On top of that, we've got more of our favorite boy, Rec Rap, the demon who has uh, sort of been inspired by Spidey in a lot of ways. And so we get a bunch of Rec Rap stuff in here. Adam making him look big and fierce and weird and beautiful uh also as i mentioned read venom you'll see how this comes comes together but we've got eddie brock as bedlam with a giant chainsaw hand and then you tag that in with ghost rider recently it is a good time for chainsaws in the marvel universe i will just say that so many chainsaws Um, love a good chainsaw uh, there's also a really beautiful double page spread. Another reason why I just love Adam, this big double page spread where Adam Kubert includes so much in the art. There's, you know, like very wide, uh, panels in here that are very cinematic, but then you also have big action pieces in here, little, uh, authentic moments, very good acting. The, the C there's a shot of Madeline Pryor who, uh, she's reacting to Jean Grey saying, of course, your family. And Madeline has got this like, I don't want to smile. I don't know how to react to this. Everything about me is rebelling against this. It is it is wonderful. It is really, really good. Um, and then, and then, Jasmine, did you lose your mind at the double page spread that Adam draws that is both vertical and horizontal? That one was cool. Like I've I've gone on the record and said that like I'm not the biggest fan of the like vertical like splash Flip. pages or the horizontal mm-hmm. splash pages. Um, but this was a really good use of that, um, only because it flips in between the like two pages. Yeah. You start reading it normally and then he, he flips it. And so, it is gorgeous. It is this big, also beautiful, uh, Madeline Pryor, like glow up moment where she, she comes back to her more true self. Freaking great. On top of all that. It's it's just it, it like leaves something for the Marvel universe. I'm not going to spoil the like the big thing that it actually physically leaves in yeah. the Marvel universe. But coming out of this, we're getting a Hollow's Eve series. We're getting a Red Goblin book. We're we're seeding into what's going on with Venom and Amazing Spider-Man and all that kind of stuff. So, hell of a way to end this. Moving on to my first pick of the week, which was a no-brainer. It was Scarlet Witch issue number two. It is written by Steve Orlando with art by Sarah Pichelli and uh, with inks by Elisabetta D'Amico. Colors by Matthew Wilson and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. And I mean, I was going to pick this one out of the gate. Like I, I had so many possible options, but it's two of my favorite characters, Wanda and Viv Vision, just getting together and hashing out so much. Like obviously Viv appeared at the end of issue one um, through the door and what we get to learn why she went through that door, why she's here, what's the mystery, what are they trying to solve? And not only that, but we get to see Viv Vision and uh, the Scarlet Witch kind of like explore and kind of talk about their relationship. Like if you remember reading uh, Vision, if you remember reading the end of that, we see Scarlet Witch kind of talking to Viv and trying to like build that relationship, but we never got to see or explore where that went next. And in this book, we get to see some of that. We get to see how Viv is kind of having difficulty, not only still reeling from all the pain that has happened in that book. Um, I mean, she lost her mother, she lost her brother. And calling Wanda mom is just like not right. I think at one point Wanda's like, yeah, I'm like your prototype mom. Mm. 
Um, but like you get that mixed in with this, like the trauma that she's dealing with. That's essentially the mission that Wanda is going on. She's going into Viv's dreams, which is so cool. We get to see this amazing dreamscape that is drawn by Sarah Pichelli. And the like adventure that she goes on here is amazing because we get to see Dream Queen, who like I haven't seen in forever. <laughs> and I'm just like, whoa, okay. Uh, but we get to see how she battles out uh, with Scarlet Witch. And like the thing that I like that Steve Orlando is kind of doing, like we've only gotten two issues of this, but every time she defeats the bad guy, she defeats him or her in like a very unique and like almost sinister way. Uh, it's a little messed up. Let's let's not sugarcoat it. Wanda is like playing for keep. She's like, uh-uh, you're, so the punishment shall fit the crime. But it's, oh, it's, it's amazing. Uh, yeah. I don't want to spoil it, but it is, just uh, and then we get like there's just so many things in this book like i like i changed my whole avatar on slack on our marvel slack to viv vision drinking out of a skull which happens in this issue because i'm just like <laughs> that is that's it that's me yeah uh also there's a, like this little mystery about what's going on with darcy darcy lewis mm-hmm. who's in the book and working with wanda and I'm, I'm i'm here for teasing that out letting us get into that uh really great book Another really great book is our third pick, Legion of X, number 10. Beautiful, beautiful cover by Ben Harvey. It's got this terrifying version of Nimrod on the on, on the cover, and it's kind of like painterly. It's something uh, I think even if y'all out there aren't picking up Legion of X, which you should, you, should, you just got to look at this cover. It's really good. It should sell the book for you. Uh, but it's written by Cy Spurrier, Pencils by Netho Diaz. Sean Parsons and Alvaro Lopez do the inks, colored by Hava Tartaglia and Ruth Redman, and lettered by VCs Clayton Cowles. This one, y'all, we, I, I almost hesitated about picking this because it is such a bummer of an issue. It is like, oh, you know how all the Krakoan age is about like raising us up and then just beating the crap out of us as X-Men fans? This is like... Like, as if someone was picking all the X-Men fans up and punching us repeatedly in the stomach, but we love it. We love it. It is so <laughs> freaking good. We This is what I crave. It's got Professor Xavier starting us off, bringing in a psychic mind worm to make Legion, his son, catatomic, catatonic. I just, yes, that's typical Charles Xavier, because he's a jerk, as Kitty Pride once famously told us. He sucks. But then he also like goes through some emotions and there's some character work in there. Uh, there's this great moment where Lost, she says, smash it down as the like the heroes are trying to get past some horrifying defenses and infiltrators to Krakoa. Like in this, there's emotional devastation. There's really cool heroic moments. But there's also really interesting lasting effects for Krakoa, for what's going on with the X-Men. Nightcrawler goes through some horrible stuff in here. His mom is the worst. Uh, Parents, man, you should never be a parent. They're the worst. I'm going to tell you that right now. As a parent, I'm the worst. Um, We also, uh, there's this quote in here that I really liked. It's called, we will never be better than our worst selves if we cannot live in hope instead of faith, which is a cool little little nugget of wisdom and thought in there. Um, There's some stuff that happens with Juggernaut, if you're a Juggernaut fan, uh, which made me laugh out loud. So you've got a bunch of devastating things, 
but also really funny moments, which is what you want out of out of a great Marvel comic. It's it's the highs, the lows. You you, you feel all kinds of different things. But there's some there's a big splash page which I, I will not spoil. But between Banshee, who is the uh, spirit of variance right now, and Juggernaut, cracked me. The Did not up. see that coming. It was so good at all. Yeah. Uh, by the end of this issue, there's tragedy, there is death, there is loss, there's brutality, there is. A whole bunch of stuff. And then in the there's like a text page with a huge reveal for potentially the future of Krakoa. So there's a lot going on in here. Do not sleep on this if you are at all interested in the X-Men books. And we have on Marvel Unlimited at this point six, seven issues of Legion of X for you to read to get caught up on what's going on here. Please, please, please do not miss this book. It's great. So good. I did not expect to fall in love with this issue as much as I did. Um, Like, I love this book, but this was something that like... It's just each issue has just been getting like crazier and crazier. And in this book, we finally get to see a lot of these things come to a head. And man, size Spurrier, like just breaking hearts. Mm-hmm. All right. That's it for our picks of the week. We got to talk about our fabulous fresh floppies. But before we do that, we got to talk about the award. What was last week's award? Last week's was the Is Someone Going to Make a Spreadsheet Award? Um, it came from Sins of Sinister, issue number one, and it was said by Kitty Pride. Um, which was great. And, you know, sometimes we pick these on books that we know a lot of people are reading. Sometimes we like say, all right, we're going to put it in something. We're going to pull from a, a book that is not maybe as, um, as high profile. But this one, knowing we went with Sins of Sinister, I mean, come on. It, we we knew we were going to get a lot of responses, and we did. Y'all came fast. Wednesday, uh, the day the books came out, early in the morning, we got our winner, who was Wayne Maw, at Wayne Maw on Twitter, who said, for once I've found it. I don't usually read the books this early, but after the end of Immortal X-Men number 10, I had to see what Sinister was doing. <sighs> yeah. You and all of us. Uh, and then we got a bunch of other great emails. Um you know, almost first, really like right on Wayne's heels was Neil from the UK who wrote an email to say, finally found a quote on a Wednesday. I've been listening to the pull list for about six months now, but don't usually get my comics until a Sunday. This week I got them on release date and found the quote in Sins of Sinister number one. A little bit about myself. I used to buy the X books back in the 90s when I was a teenager. This is why I love Neil. Executioner's song is still the best story. Yeah, deal with it. Woo, woo, woo. Uh, Take that, all you Extinction Agenda fans. It's all about Executioner Song. Anyway, back to Neil's email. Uh, he said, then life happened, then life happened, and I stopped getting them. The last year, me and my daughters found a local comic shop, and I started collecting again. X-Books and most of the other main Marvel books. I listen to the poll list every week, but go to Marvel Unlimited for whatever is in the reading club first. Love catching up on what I missed over the years. And Neil gives a shout out to his local comic shop, Get Ready Comics in Rochester, Kent. We also got an email from Shum. They said, first time, long time. Uh, I saved the podcast for my walk to my LCS, Thunderstruck Bookstore in Toronto, Ontario. Uh, and it always gets me excited for the week's pulls. Anyway, is it weird that I can't see Kitty asking, is someone going to make a spreadsheet? But it makes sense that Captain Kate did here in The Sins of Sinister. Also, was the reading list an Easter Cohen egg? Hmm. Hmm, maybe. Um, all right, we got another email from Miss Dot Merlin who said, Longtime Marvelite, first time writer here. I love listening to y'all every Wednesday before grabbing my weekly mags. You really get me hyped for the comics waiting in my bin. My local comic shop is 
Other World Games in Portland, Ontario, and they sadly get their deliveries late in the day. And while I often find the weekly quote, I always feel like I missed the chance to be amongst the first and never write in. But not this week. As a professional spreadsheet jockey who is beyond excited for Sins of Sinister, I think this week's award was made just for me. Thanks for all you do, and I can't wait to see how well you wear the red forehead diamond after Sinister takes us all over. Jasmine, we should have gotten forehead diamonds and worn them. I, I thought about it after seeing this email. I was like, that's genius. Like, uh, I'm part of a Discord where everybody has changed their avatars to pictures oh of themselves with the diamond on it. It's great. Oh my. It's amazing. It. Uh, Mitch Krampadich found the quote this week saying this book was wild. Richard Lee excelled with his spreadsheet puns finding the quote this week. Uh, so thank you guys for, for participating and finding it. And then finally, I wanted to give a big congrats to listener Eric Hale, whose debut novel was just published. Eric found this week's quote and said... I would be remiss if I failed to shout out Marvel and the creators over the years that inspired me to do the dang thing and put my own creative voice out into the ether. My book, All the Brittle Pieces, was inspired by Marvel legends of past and present, like Garth Ennis, Benjamin Percy, Greg Rucka, and Charlie Houston, just to name a few. It's an often brutal, sometimes tender, noir vigilante story about healing from childhood trauma and finding a better path, no matter how lost we may feel in life. Uh, uh, Eric, I sent, I sent your note to Benjamin Percy as well, because, um, Ben is wonderful and Benjamin was, he was really happy and he said, thank you. All right. That's it for all of our United States of pull list emails and tweets and other goodies. Uh, we got to talk about this week's award though, Ryan, we are going to give away the power of jazz award. I'll let you decide why I picked this one. Three guesses. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I, I want you all to find this one. It's a, it's a good one. If you find this quote, screen cap it and tweet it to at Agent M and at Jasmiest with hashtag Marvel's pull list or email us at pull list at Marvel.com. If you're among the first, I may surprise you with something. Keep your emails and your DMs open. And then, of course, please mark your messages okay to read so we can read them here on the show. And if you have a local comic shop, please give us their name and location so we can give them a shout out. All right, let's give out that award now to all the new comics out this week. First up is Avengers number 65. There's a bunch of really wild things I could give the award to. I I, I think I'm going to give the Power of Jazz award to the Doom Army. There is an army of dooms in here drawn by Javier Garon that is just so, so cool looking. There's also like big really neat splash of cosmic threats that uh, Avenger Prime has to deal with. And there's a really fun moment where there's just like no more Avengers, all kinds of moments. But that Doom Army, that Doom Army is the jam. That's what gets my award this week. All right. Next up, we got Bloodline Daughter of Blade issue number one. And I really adored this book. Like it could have easily been my pick of the week. It has all of my like, it's got very much the flavor of like Buffy teenage, like vampire slayer it's got a lot of drama like very mean girl like style drama i mean it can't get better than like a new student coming into school and immediately maybe being the villain of the story like i love it here for it um but i'm gonna go ahead and give my power of jazz award to the relationship between brielle and her mom because they're they have a very honest relationship a very close relationship and they just don't really like they, they don't lie to each other. They're very real with each other. And like, there's no real questions that are like off the table. And I, I just adore the level of communication that they two, those two have. I particularly dug it because as a, 
an only child of a single mom, I got the energy, I got the relationship, I got the vibe so perfectly there. It was it was tremendous. All right, we've got Captain America Sentinel of Liberty number nine out this week. Once again, we're going to be talking about issues one through six in a little bit, but issue nine is out this week. Um, there's some really great covers. There's a, uh, Marvel universe versus the planet of the apes variant by Asad Rabich that I just mwah, chef's kiss. It's so fun. Um, man, yeah, I'm going to give my, the power of jazz award to the page showing how my sweet boy Modoc got his new vibe and his new name as Modoc. And if you're not reading the book and that sounds confusing, well, then you should be reading the damn book. So read the damn book. All right. It's so good. It's so good. He's so weird. It's delicious and funny and weird and dark. Man, they did it. Also stay tuned because if you listen to our chat today uh, and next week with Colin and Jackson, mm-hmm. there might be a new acronym villain coming into play soon. But you'll have to listen to find out more about we'll that. See. Next up, we got Demon Wars Down in Flames, issue number one. And... I, I, what, there's so many cool, like, new designs in this book that come out. And, like, one of the coolest ones that we get is a itty bitty, like, Cyclops yokai monster that is ridiculous and just, like, laugh out loud funny. Uh, I mean, for that, he gets my, uh, Power of Jazz award because he just has an insane amount of power and he's just, like, crying. Like, that is his power. Let's move on to Miles Morales, Spider Man number three, because this is a, Big one for the book. We get to see the origin of the new villain, the rabble, uh, and and how the rabble is tied to Miles. We get to see the, her powers and really cool stuff. I'm going to give my the power of jazz award to the big double page splash between uh, Miles and Misty where they're fighting Scorpion. It rules. It is big and bombastic. It is exciting. There's a bunch of little inset panels in there. It's funny. The dialogue moves. It's it's just what we want out of our Miles Morales book. Yeah. All right. Next up, we have Moon Knight issue number 20. And Jed McKay is just pulling some of the like deepest lore cuts that I can like imagine. Wild. Um, I did not expect this to come into play here, but he brings the shadow cabinet into play. It begins with some of them getting murdered and Moon Knight is left to kind of try to figure out who is going after his shadow cabinet. If you're not familiar with the shadow cabinet, they debuted in Mark Spector Moon Knight issue number 38 and 92. And like for that, like just thread to be pulled again is just phenomenal. Like he's already been exploring some of this in previous issues, but like this is probably like the deepest, like strongest pull that he's done. And I'm like, I'm so here for it. But the shadow cabinet here gets my power of jazz award. Also, the fact that he brought in the Harlequin hitmen, speedball villains, uh, this this couple who were just like kind of goofy and turned them into scary, cool threat. Great job. Great, great job. And that's like, not, we're not even talking about the backup story in this issue, which is oh, a blade yeah. story. Um, oh, and it's, yeah. we get introduced to a new Moon Knight or like Fist of Moon Knight and She's so damn cool. I need more of her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, all right. Next book is Silver Surfer Ghostlight number one. We recently had on cover artist Torin Clark. So we talked about this a little bit. Uh, was it a week or two ago? So if you missed that, go read that and then get hyped for this because uh, this is the book that picks up a thread that is God, almost 60 years in the making. Uh, it's from Silver Surfer number five from the late 1960s. I, I would highly suggest go on Marvel Unlimited, read that, and then come into this one. Uh, it's a really great issue. Valentin Delandro's art is just 
really beautiful. It gives me vibes of John Paul Leone, uh, which is tremendous in and of itself. Uh, that said, I'm going to give my Power of Jazz Award to... <laughs> to a sequence. Uh, John Jennings writes a really great family situation in here and great banter and talk between them. But there's a moment in here where they're talking about songs written when their parents were uh, born and how they're golden oldies. And the golden oldie was from 1981. And I was just like, well, I'm dead. Goodbye. <laughs> oh, I love that conversation. Um, next up, we have Star Wars, Son of Star Wars, issue number one. And I could give my Power of Jazz Award to the Pink Milk Producing Monsters uh, that start the issue off. But they're really creepy and I don't like them. So I'm going to give it to <laughs> Sana's cousin because we find out that she is in a complicated romance that I don't want to spoil because it's I, I'm so fascinated by this. Like mm. I, I'm very curious to see how this pocket of the Star Wars universe kind of like unfolds here. Heck yeah. All right, we've got Venom number 16. As I mentioned earlier, I highly suggest you read this before you read Dark Web Finale. Uh, if you do, though, there's a bunch of great covers. Uh, i got to shout out the <laughs> the Pym variant cover, Pym Particle variant cover by Martin Cocolo, the Stormbreaker, which has got Venom with Pizza Rat, famous one of New York's most famous rats, uh, which is cracked up when I saw that one, but I will give my The Power of Jazz award to a sequence in which Ms. Marvel is fighting Bedlam, aka uh, this version of Eddie Brock, who's like super big and really like extreme and, and gnarly. Uh, she like grabs him and gets annoyed with him because he's being a jerk and she tosses him across New York City. And it's hilarious. There's like uh, the, the page break and then you flip the page and there's just this silent panel of you can see Bedlam over the New York City skyline, I cracked up. Legit laugh out loud. It was really fun. So good. All right. Last but not least, we have Wakanda issue number five. And this is a great Okoye story, but it's also a great Dora Milaje story. And the craziest thing about this issue is, and it's what's going to get my power of jazz award, is the fact that Brendan T. Wagner, who's the writer on this book, brought back not only... King Cadaver, who hasn't been seen. He's a he's an old Black Panther villain who hasn't been seen since 1974, back when Don McGregor was writing Jungle Action. Uh, but also Madam Slay, who was in issue 18 of Jungle Action, an issue that was essentially the epilogue of Panther's Rage. She is Killmonger's like side piece. Um, and essentially is trying to seek out revenge in that issue, which highly recommend you read that issue because she's got two cheetahs uh that are just that she just has control over but anyway he brings these two characters back who haven't been seen since the 70s and it's just like let's tell a story with these guys in it but then also has a team up between batrock rhino shocker and madam slay and that is a callback to the beginning of reginald hudlin's run of black panther where those three and i believe achebe is the name of the villain all ganged up on Wakanda to try to like create this political like uh, incident. And it's just like big, deep pulls and just being able to like bring these characters back. Madam Slay is probably one of the coolest designed villains, one of the coolest villain names that like we just need to have her back. We need to bring her back. And I'm glad that Brandon took his shot and he brought her back. Last book of the week is X-Force number 37. And 
It's great. We talked about Benjamin Percy earlier. He's a nightmare doing terrible, terrible things to our favorite characters, and I absolutely love it. There's so much going on in here. I wouldn't. Uh, there's this great moment where Deadpool is do he does the Wakanda Forever sign because he's trying to come up with like a thing for X Force to do, and it's really funny with Omega Red and Domino. There's all those great moments, but I want to give my Power of Jazz award to the callbacks to Genosha. And the second best X-Men 90s crossover, Extinction Agenda. There's some great moments in here that like dive right into that. And if you've never read Extinction Agenda, it's a hoot and a holler, almost as good as Executioner's Song. So go check it out. Man, shots fired. That's it for our fabulous fresh floppies. But we also have a bunch of collections hitting shelves this week. We have Marauders Volume 2 by Jerry Duggan, which highly recommend you pick that up, um, as well as Silver Surfer Epic Collection, The Return of Thanos. If you tuned into our reading club a couple of weeks ago where we talked about Return of Thanos, um, this is definitely the book to pick up because it not only collects that arc, but also collects some of the other material that we were talking about during uh, throughout that conversation. Yeah. Let's talk about Marvel Unlimited a bit on the Infinity Comics front. There's a whole bunch of issues this week. You can find them in the app. I wanted to point out Marvel's Voices Moon Girl Infinity Comic, issue number 38, which is a new arc written by Stephanie Williams with art by Julian Shaw and Ian Herring. And and a Who Is issue focused on Miracle Man, which is awesome. It's a one-shot written by Rom V with art by Leonard Kirk and Edgar Delgado. So check those out and all the other Infinities on the service. And then we have a bunch of new MU books hitting uh, the service as well. We have Axe Judgment Day issue number six. We have New Mutants issue number 31. We have X-Men Legends issue number three, which I believe was a pick of ours. And then we have Strange Academy Finals issue number one, which highly recommend. Um, also picked up the collection of the of the first year yesterday. And mm. it is so pretty to see all those books together. It's a square bound, thick, like complete collection. I cannot wait to see this series continue. Yeah. Uh, also hitting Marvel Unlimited. I know a lot of you are curious about what we're putting into like filling in holes and runs. So we've got three issues added to the 1990s Namor series, which is cool. Uh, we've got New Avengers Most Wanted Files from 2005. And what I found really cool and really interesting, I think we fill out the run for the 1960s Nick Fury Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. run, the ones that are not by Steranko. Uh, because <laughs> famously, those are the only ones we've ever collected. But there's like Gary Friedrich and, and Frank Springer issues. Great covers, like the most famous covers that you know of Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. are sometimes on the ones that Stranko didn't do. They're just Stranko covers, uh, which is really fun, really wild. You'll you'll see it when you go in. So we've got uh, Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. issues four and then six through 15. Really uh, pick it up a whole bunch of stuff in there. That's it for all the new comics this week. Next up, we're going to be talking to Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly. It's the first part of two. We're going to be talking about Captain America, Sentinel of Liberty, Revolution, and our love of Carmen Canero. Yeah, this is just going to turn into a, a big Carmen Canero celebration podcast. Please enjoy. All right, Jasmine, let's get ready to talk about some truth and revolution, money, power, all the good stuff in this world and beyond with our guests this week, Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing, the writers of Captain America, Sentinel of Liberty. Hello, Colin. Hello, Ryan. This is my voice, everyone. I'm Colin. Hello, Jackson. Hello, this is Jackson. This is my voice. What's up, guys? How are you? All right. Now that we got that situated. We will use different hilarious accents, however. 
just to confuse you. Confusing everyone. Beautiful. Obviously, the two of you have been working together for a while, but I want to go back to your sort of early days, early careers, um, even before your careers as becoming fans. Did you did you grow up reading Marvel? Did you go to a comic shop? What were you collecting? How'd you first really get into to Marvel stuff, Jackson? You're nodding very heavily. Tell me. Oh well, it, it, it's nice because it uh, it feeds very nicely into our into our origin story in general. Um, normally, when we like meet people for the first time and they're like, "How'd you guys get started?" We start by talking about what nerds we are. Um, we so yeah, uh, we both grew up reading comics. Um, I uh, my, I had a weird rule in my house, which was I wasn't allowed to read or watch anything where people hurt other people. It was like my, my mom had this kind of like line that she drew. Um, so we were like a Star Trek house. Star Trek was like kind of ideal uh, material for me. Um, but in comics, what that meant is normally I was reading stuff where uh, there were like, a, uh, where the villains kind of took the form of animals. So Spider-Man was kind of perfect for me um, because very rarely was Spider-Man um, like dealing with anybody who looked like a person. It was like the worst thing you got was like, he looks like goop, which is why obviously I love Venom. Um, so uh, it was a lot of that. Like I, so I came up on Spider-Man, um, a little bit of Superman, and then Clone Saga, Death of Superman. That was sort of right in my like childhood hit spot. And th- both of those events kind of chased me away from comics, if I'm being honest. Um, I, I, I hit a point with both of them where I was like, oh, these characters aren't the people I remember anymore. I don't really know what I'm doing here. I, and I kind of, um, I kind of just retreated from comics out of my childhood for a bunch of years, became a big movie nerd. That really became my, my, my sort of obsession. And then um, in like middle school, high school, I rediscovered comics through X-Men. The bar on people punching other people had been lifted. Suddenly I could watch X-Men, the animated series and read all the X-Men comics. And uh, it was just at the end of the Morrison run. And I just uh, went absolutely nuts on it. And, And, you know, Grant is a, an enormous influence on Colin and I both, so um, their work on that was just kind of like a, a giant awakening for me. Um, and that got me coming to the comic book shop every week, which then became me falling into Batman, um, which kept me coming to the comic book shop every week, which then got me into Ed Brubaker's Captain America, which really got me into the comic book shop every week and was one of the first books that I was collecting just week to week, moment to moment, constantly, which was around the time I met Colin. Yeah, I was kind of a similar, except, well, no, not really a similar at all, because I was fairly unsupervised and could consume kind of whatever media I wanted to. <laughs> um, what I ended up doing was my very first comics uh, I picked up through the Scholastic Book Fair, Ooh. Uh, because I was trying to juice my Boy Scout sales by getting subscriptions for myself. Uh, and one of those things you could subscribe to at the time was floppies. So I was like, Captain America, huh? Okay, cool. I'm going to get Captain America comics because my sh- my town doesn't have a comic shop. I live out in the woods. Um, and so I got my Captain America every month, folded up and stuffed into my mailbox, as you absolutely want to do. Um, it was that delicious Cap Wolf. It was all the muscles and the exosuits of all this, that sweet spot of 90s, 90s Cap where there's no, no muscles are big enough. Uh, and I drank that up uh but still not a lot of access to comics so i went to my local library and i like many of us i became best friends with the librarian uh no one is cooler kids than your local librarian Facts. they know what they know the deets uh and i just worked for one way one side of the comic book uh you know shelf to the other uh, and in the process consumed uh a lot of spider-man but also a lot of batman 
And that's really primarily what I was consuming until I uh, got to college and our mutual friend introduced Jackson and I, and I said, I hate him. I hate him <laughs> viciously because he has all really cool, really smart opinions. Uh, and I should, I have those too. Uh, and I'm a very jealous kind of person. Uh, but then we started going to the comic shop together, uh, picking up our Young Avengers. And I think Young yes. Avengers, as well as the Ultimate Universe, was just absolutely popping off. Uh, and I think Young Avengers is what really started to help us bond because yeah. it is a story about young people finding their way uh, and kind of found family in the midst of adversity and realizing the person who you kind of hate might be your best friend if you're in the trenches. Uh, and that really kind of cemented uh, that relationship. Yeah, I mean, and, and we sort of, it was, it was really nice because we had different backgrounds, but we found ourselves just simultaneously by nature of the fact that neither of us had a car and needed to, our buddy David Server needed to drive us to the comic book shop every week. Um, we, by our very nature, were just always arguing about comics, always talking about books, always figuring out our favorite runs. Um, obviously, Young Avengers was a huge thing. Bendis was a huge thing. Brubaker Cap was a huge thing. Um, the, there was a, uh, Runaways was huge for us. Like there, oh, yeah. was, there was just kind of a crucible moment where we were able to just constantly be um, throwing our opinions up against each other and, and talking about comics and really digging in. And what I don't think we realized at the time was we were training for our job, um, <laughs> which what you're supposed to be doing in college, but we thought we were going to be famous screenwriters by 25. Right. So we didn't understand what we were doing. And then you, and then you get into Hollywood and realize that Hollywood is like a, a gauntlet and it takes a million years to get anything done. And, and that's why we started writing comics and realized, Oh my gosh, actually this is, this is what we love. Like this is actually what we were doing when we were trying to do the other thing. The thing we were doing for fun was reading and talking about and imagining great comics. And now we've turned that into something that we get to do day to day, um, which is a, a real blast. It's really cool to hear like where you guys' influences come from. Cause even like the Star Trek of it all, like the nonviolent stuff, like I think one of the things like, we're going to be talking about Captain America, Sentinel Liberty, the first arc, which is titled revolution issues one through six of your guys' run. But like rereading it again, one of the things that I noticed was like, it's an action packed book, but like there's so many sequences where it's like Cap is jumping around. He's like, the first issue where you're you're flying from one blimp to another like it's there's so many sequences where i'm like oh okay like violence isn't necessarily the first like option or like brewbreakers run like i don't know if you guys can see my shelf but like at least half of that top shelf is just brewbreakers run because that is like my bread and butter like that's why i'm a cap fan um and seeing like i can see those influences the runaway influence like the way that like you guys have pulled this cast of characters together in this arc I'm also hearing like the older '90s like Cap lore. Like, how much Cap lore have you guys covered? Like, read because it sounds like you guys are very like well. Personally, like... we've consumed for this big. We've consumed pretty much everything we can get our hands on. If it's on Marvel Unlimited and says Captain America on it, we read it. Um, Amazing. You can't step into the legacy of this character without anything. You can, you can't bullshit your way through it. Like, we've been on uh, a Cap podcast that is just a podcast that exclusively talks about Captain America. We've been on it twice. And it's like, you can't sit down with those guys unless you know your business because a lot of fans want to test you. Um, and we that's exactly what we did too, right? They want to make sure that you love this as much as they do. Um, and you can't do that if you're half-assing it or faking it. Um, so. Like when you were talking about the big oversized muscles, all I'm thinking of is like the Rob Liefeld, like Heroes Reborn, like. So, yeah. Yeah, I big. mean, look, and it's, and it's wild because everything, like, and you'll find that like there's very, there's, you know, a, 
we have very like Colin and I sometimes have very different tastes in terms of like what the stuff we love. Sometimes it, it you know that that's part of what is good about I think our partnership is that you'll get my influences and Colin's influences, and those aren't the same influence all the time. Um, because if you were if you were getting one of us or the other, the work would be really different. The thing that I think is really exciting about Cap is that he has gone through a bunch of very different phases, and some of those phases work for me and some of those phases work for Colin. Like I, I'm not a huge fan of like the exosuit era, but I do love aspects of it. I don't love Heroes Reborn, but I love uh, Nomad. I love the take on Nomad that Heroes Reborn brings in. Um, and every once in a while a fan is like, are you bringing in Heroes Reborn? Nomad? <laughs> We're not, but honestly, I'd love to. When are we going to get Diamond back? Exactly. Well, dude, we just had a freaking conversation. Man. Don't get us talking about Diamondback. Diamondback is one of those characters who, if we weren't, spending our time right we ha- we kind of had to call our shots you only have so much time in a book and yeah. pretty early on we called our shots on certain ensemble members we knew this was going to be a cat it had to be a steve book first mm-hmm. it had to be a bucky book second and then it was going to be a sharon carter book third but that we were going to have to take some time to bring sharon back in because we had a plan for her like we were doing something with sharon carter that we haven't fully unveiled yet and it, even even now it's it's really sort of going to come to a come to a, a climax and, and kind of reveal itself in Cold War, the, the event that's coming out. But in in looking at those three characters and realizing we had to service them, everything then had to kind of position itself under one of those story trees so that we knew like, okay, when we're talking about Redacted, that is serving, like the Redacted is serving Steve's arc. Redacted is a really interesting character in and of themselves, but they are servicing Steve's arc. Like, Bucky, everything with the outer circle is servicing Bucky's arc. Like that is taking Bucky into a new framework and we're going to deal with that. Peggy Carter is going to sit under Bucky's arc and really like support and be evolved by Bucky's arc. And then where she lands is going to make it her own arc. But that's, you know, but it's a subtler arc. Sharon going through a big change. So we're going to want to, you know, support her, bring in characters that can support her arc, which we're seeing now in, the invader, the arc, the second arc that we're doing right now um, with uh, with Carmen Carnera, the sort of extension of revolution. Uh, a lot of that is in support of taking Sharon where we want to take her. So it's, I think once we called those shots and we knew like those are really who we're centering around and then we really want to make a, as big a splash as we can with the outer circle and really make sure that they get the attention. Um, the, the ensemble of it all got to be a, uh, just got to be the sort of like inherent nature of the book but to us, if you were to be like, hey, like, what's the book about? It's like, it's about Steve, it's about Bucky, it's about Sharon. And then the rest of it, I think it's just sit fundamentally uh, underneath that. And then you're like, but it, like, is there room for a diamond bag? Yeah, that makes sense. I get what you're saying. But I also think you kind of highlight in your lead and you kind of highlight a little bit, like, and I think Jack just underlined it too. It's like, oh, well, Bucky has the outer circle, Peggy, Natasha, right? There's all these superhero concepts that are kind of sitting on Bucky's shoulders as he steps into this role of, effectively an arch villain. Um, but what that got let us do is let Cap build out the Steve, right? Like all of the Cap stuff kind of gets to sit, the big superhero stuff gets to sit over there so that Steve can really shine. And that was one of our central uh, pitches on the character and something that Carmen got really engaged with. Um, yeah. When our first conversation, right? We haven't even talked about the absolute angel baby that is Carmen Carnero. Um, <laughs> Just but, one of the greatest artists in comics. Like low key, like easily top five artists in comics. Like, but holy cow. Was like, but was like, I really want to focus on, I want to really spend time with Steve. And we're like, that's wonderful. Cause we do too. It's not Captain America who needs to grow. 
Captain America is a symbol. He's a he's a he's a pillar of of, of hope and and charisma and American dream. Steve though needs to grow. Steve needs to evolve, and that meant giving him those kind of cast of characters uh, that are just normal people, uh, so that he could be a normal person for a while. And ironically, put down the shield, even though we know now know that the shield doesn't mean exactly what he thought. Y'all covered whole bunch of things i was gonna get to <laughs> which is fantastic but uh since we're into the book let's talk about it of course captain america sentinel of liberty is written by jackson and colin here on the show art by carmen carnero colors by nolan woodard lettered by vcs joe caramagna um man uh, watching that this team gel and it feels very much like a cohesive unit it's you can see everybody working together feels like everybody is bouncing off of each other the ideas are flowing it's oh i can only imagine the two of you are like all right what if we frame it like this and then you bring it to carmen and she's like flip the table but what if we do it like this and then we get this beautiful beautiful tapestry what is that creative process like for you as a broader team so one of the things that's uh I think there's actually one thing that really encapsulates the whole way that the book has worked, which is because we've worked with artists where you write it all out and then the artist comes in and flips the table and is like, actually, what about this? In fact, um, Guardians of the Galaxy coming up right now with Kev Walker, that's how you work with Kev. You give Kev a script and then Kev goes through and Kev goes, here's all the things I disagree with that I'm going to change. And he's always right. So you have to be like, wow, man, that's incredible. Like you constantly learn to be a better writer when working with Kev, because Kev is a great writer. So Kev just kind of like gets in there and like figures it out and like brings himself to it. Carmen kind of does this amazing, um, very different way of, of sort of handling that, which is you challenge Carmen. And it's kind of one of our, our favorite things about the, the process is you challenge Carmen. You say, hey, Carmen. Um, and, and we actually, we worked with Carmen way, way, way back on like a DC book, like ages ago. And we got to work with her for one and a half issues. And we, we were like, we want to work with her forever. Um, because in that issue, we gave her this big formal challenge, which was we're going to have the whole top half of every page is going to be one setting, whole bottom half of every page is going to be the second setting, and that's going to run and switch every time. So it's, it's, a, it's an epistolary. It's two people writing letters to each other, and it's going to change location every page, but we're always going to be seeing both of them, and these pages need to like interact and work together. It's going to be kind of an interesting like formal thing. And she executed it like beautifully. So we... We knew that she had like an interesting head for like formal arrangement and like how to build like interesting formal pages. But then in issue one, we wrote that blimp sequence that you talked about, Jasmine, where uh, Cap is, you know, he, he swims across the river and he jumps up on the, uh, uh, on the parade and then he's jumping between the blimps and then he's leaping out and finally landing to fight the new destroyer on top of this, this airship. Okay, so that sequence we wrote all in panels. And then you get to that splash page that's him jumping the balloons in sequence. And she had gotten rid of all the panels and done it as a splash sequence. It's so cool. And we were like, and, and it is it's so cool. And we were like, okay, uh, that's a visual signature. What a neat thing. I wonder if she can do that again. And so in the second issue, we said, all right, remember this thing you did here? How about we extend that? How about we build out that fight sequence in this way? And then in the third issue, we're like, hey, what if we do that even more? And then the fourth issue, we're like, what if we do it even more? And you'll see that now every time you get into like a big fight sequence in Captain America, panel borders stop being a necessary thing. She drops panel borders all the time. So then we get to issue six 
which is the big showdown fight between Steve and Bucky, like the, 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 the thing that the whole book was predicated on, which was we are going to take these two characters who are rarely on the other side of one another, and we're going to put them fundamentally on, on, on two sides of a coin. And that's going to mean we have to do this fight. And the initial outline of that was us being like, they're fighting and they're making the points that they have to make at each other while they fight. So we're getting the philosophical outlook of Bucky and the philosophical outlook of Steve. And then we wrote the first five pages of it where they talk before they fight, where we sort of try to get all that out. Steve tries to deescalate the fight. Bucky won't let it deescalate. Bucky tries to make it not a fight, but Steve won't leave Bucky. And we got, we had this line. I remember we were sitting right next to each other. We wrote, yeah. the, line, like, <laughs> we wrote the line, like, there's nothing left to say. And I turned to Colin and I was like, what if there is nothing left to say? Like, what if the entire rest of the issue is silent because Carmen can just do it? And he was like, yeah. Well, we'd been working on that. Like we had a bunch more pages of monologue that we'd been both being like, man, this is like good, but so heavy. Why is it just going to get in the way of Carmen's art? And then I was like, wait, ding dongs. You wrote the line. There's nothing left to say. Listen to your characters. And we, and, and then you're like, Hey, Carmen, have fun. Like we wrote out all the action. Like we wrote those action beats. It's not like Carmen like invented all of the action, but she invents how to make all of it work in a dramatic, impactful character oriented way where we just get to step back. And I think that's our, our, our favorite part of this process is that there's, is when we can step back and just be like, Carmen did it. Like it, like we, we gave Carmen a, a sort of impossible challenge and she did it. Um, and that's sort of the the constant run on this book. And the few times that we've been like, hey, Carmen, do you have like a thing you really want to draw? Or like, is there a story you really want to tell? Like, what can we put in this book to make you more excited? Her answer is almost always just, just keep giving me challenges to draw. I love this. Just keep going. And she's very open to that that premise. The only thing she's ever asked us was at the very beginning of the book. She said, as Colin pointed out, she was like, please make sure that I get to draw Steve, not Cap." Can I can I just draw Steve as much as possible? Really, that's our whole goal. So yeah, let's go. She draws a hell of a Steve yeah. too. It's and and if folks have not picked up the tr- uh, not picked up the story yet, they have not made it to issue seven. Then maybe they're on the fence right now. Uh, I would just like to inform them that in issue seven, uh, we get perhaps the most beefcakey beefcake of Steve Rogers. He making he making pancakes, baby. Mm-hmm. It is delightful. like folks. Come on, you know you want the abs. You want to see America's abs uh, get out there America's and let Carmen. Uh, yeah, everybody knows Carmen... about the ass. Yeah, yeah, obviously. Yeah. I'm glad you you brought up uh, that sequence and and sort of the the bit of dialogue because as I was going through my reread for this, I clocked eight wordless pages of that fight. So it was really just a count. It was like, and it feels so important. And it's, you know, it's the great thing about this medium, right? It's like you can really lean into the moments where you need a lot of exposition or really give a lot of heavy stuff, but also pull back and let the art do all the storytelling. And it's very effective here. And then at the end, it's just, let me go, Steve, or I'll make you. And it's just, mm, it's good. It's good grit. Yeah. We knew we were going to be plunging the knife into the chest and just turning it. And that's the point of storytelling. Right. And I think that's the, one of the interesting things kind of circling back to what we were talking about earlier is the balance between uh, what we call punchy kicky and <laughs> drama, right? And like, yes, you can express drama with fists, absolutely, but you can never forget that these superheroes are people at their core. And it's about, and especially, god dang, when you get Carmen, who understands how to twitch an eye 
and like show a reflection and a, you can tell when her characters are just on the edge of tears and it's just these small little moments. I mean, it's just like filmmaking, right? Acting comes from the eyes and it doesn't matter if they're live, if they're drawn, it comes from the expressions of the people. And if you rely too much on that, get punch, punch, explode, um, you're going to lose it. So finding that way to, to, to lens in on character. Um, I think is one of the best things about working with Carmen and one of the unique things about uh, our take. Um, really quick, maybe because he's on top of my mind because we've got the first work from him coming up in a couple of years for the first time in a while. Um, Stuart Eminen and the way you were describing Carmen's work with you and the way like I've, every time I've heard Stuart, like someone talk about working with Stuart, Stuart's like, I want it on the page and then let me do the do the story right you know Stuart is one of the greatest comic book storytellers yeah. of all time and all time. it's a little premature i'm not saying carmen is the next Stuart imminent but man she's so good and hearing the way you're talking about that 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 centered that working together and like she's just like give it to me and let me run with it She's she's got that potential. She's a dream. Yep, she's gonna she's going places. She's going I, I, places. I, will, I I will say that she's the next Stuart Eminem. I I really <laughs> I, I, when and here's why, truthfully, because we worked with her years ago, and she was just as good then, and no one knew. Like no one was like you wouldn't. No one knew who Carmen Carnero was, and yet here she was. Like we were working with different artists on that series every issue, and she came in like great artists. And she came in and was so fundamentally a, it wasn't about the line quality and it wasn't about, it was about storytelling. That she had this ability to tell story. She knew what was important in the story and what wasn't and how to bring that to the fore. And and that's why, I mean, Stuart Eminem is, a, I think gets a lot of love for like the, the the amount of amazing style he can he can bring to something and the amount of different tones that he can operate in. And I think that is a superpower that, you know, I don't think a lot of people have. Um, and I don't even know if that's like a superpower Carmen has. What I think Carmen has is that, that same thing that Stuart had, which was, or has, which is if you just get out of his way, if you take all the dialogue off the page, you can still tell the story. And for, for us as writers, so much of the time we overwrite, like just by necessity, because in comics, you can't, necessarily be a hundred percent sure that that weird subtle moment is going to come through um you don't have an actor you have an artist and so you hope that 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 glint in the eye comes through and with carmen there's just literally i don't don't think there's ever been a moment where we're like well we need to add to this like this is unclear it's like never (laughs) not once i feel like we could just talk all day about carmen because i i too i'm just like i love her art i've like rereading this has just been like, oh, that's right. She's so amazing. Reading like Black Widow is also like, oh my God, you're so amazing. Like one of my favorite artists going like right now. Um, but I do want to talk about some of the like the character designs, um, like both the art and like, like I still think Redacted is probably one of the coolest names for a villain. Like it is so smart. It is so of its time. And also just like the concept of it and how he's been growing as a character or she, I don't know. I don't know what the pronouns are for, for Redacted. Uh, Redacted doesn't know their own pronouns. We'd use they, them pronouns okay. internally because um, the idea is that over time, the character will decide all of that. But, I love uh, that. you know, in, 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 in success and longevity. Um, but yeah, that's the, there's, there's no wrong answer right now. <laughs> Great. I love that. And yeah, we went around and around on that design with Carmen. Um, 
because it was such a vague kind of, uh, we didn't really know, right? We knew like Quicksilver Monster, go with that. Uh, and then we saw iterations on that design and they went from like super surreal to too grounded. And eventually we, yeah, hit on that when, and it, it, it will make sense uh, in, in issue 10 or 10. 11. We're going to, we get, we get our first, we get our first look at the, at, at uh, the character's origin in 10. In okay. 10? Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. Uh, yeah. And it's going to kind of play into it. But yeah, that design work uh, is, I mean, yeah, killer. And then I assume you also want to talk about perhaps some of the costume designs of like Sharon Carter's new yeah. duds. And like. Also, um, I mean, like her new duds, like her outfits. Like, is, oh, is that just Carmen just firing? That's all just Carmen, like, baby. That's just, just like, I'm going to make the hottest outfit possible. Yeah. Yep. Hey, my, my favorite thing was uh, when her Emma Frost showed up and oh instead, my God. Of, instead of drawing Emma in anything like a recognizable Emma costume, Carmen was like, "I here is a shoulder pad redesign. I have redesigned <laughs> Emma Frost. And so the character came in and it was the, it's the one time we've ever had to add words to a page because, because the character was redesigned, because Carmen wanted to do her own thing, it wasn't immediately clear that that was Emma Frost unless someone said Emma Frost or unless like, Emma said something that was clearly Emma's voice. Like we were like, how do we like it? Cause it's, it's not like the classic design. So how do we make it sure? Right. But at the same time, I, I you know, the, those shoulder pads should be iconic. They phenomenal. Be all the phenomenal. Time. Like incredible. Also the line, the dialogue during that entire sequence, like the whole mommy thing, like <laughs> delicious. Like it was, can I, can I tell you? Yeah. The, the, the mommy line has a really fun story to it. Um, that that ties into Marvel Unlimited, which is obviously part of the goal here. Um, we so I read Marvel Unlimited as my primary way of reading comics. Um, a, the only thing that I was collecting in trade at the time from Marvel was the whole X line. I was reading all the the um, Dawn of X trades. I just had like I was constantly getting them at my store. But because I was reading them in trade and because I was reading on Unlimited, that meant that I was six months behind on everything. And uh, so I had been I had heard about the Hellfire Gala. Like, we both heard a lot about the Hellfire Gala, but had not read the Hellfire Gala. And we were writing this scene, and we knew that there'd been some communication between Emma Frost and Steve at the Hellfire Gala. That's really all we knew. was like, oh, there's like a budding relationship, friendship thing going on between these two. It's interesting. You can use that. Because we cause basically we were like, we want to use either Jean Grey or Emma Frost for this. And they came back and they were like, Emma's probably the one that makes more sense. We were like, great, cool, because Emma's got the better, like, the voice that we want to write. Like, that sounds great. And so we wrote the mommy gag. Mostly because we were just like, it's the kind of thing she would make Steve do. Like, it's like, oh, Absolutely. she needs to pick a code word, she's going to f*** with Steve. That, that's the right move. And then, like, a week later, Hellfire popped onto Marvel Unlimited and the trade came out and I was able to read it. And the and the that conversation between Steve and, uh, and Emma, what is it? What's the thing that they had been? It's they they kind of flirt, and Emma walks away and goes, "Did I just flirt with Steve Rogers? Like maybe I'm into Steve Rogers. I don't know what's up." And then she reads his mind, and she's suddenly mortified because she, he she reminds him of his mother. And I was like, "Wait, so good! You set up our gag, and we paid off your gag, and we didn't read each other." Like they didn't know we were gonna do that, and so like I, I I ended up hanging out with Teeny Howard a couple weeks ago, and I was like, you know, we're psychically connected, even though we've never talked about this, right? I just assumed that you guys like had written that gag together because it's so perfect. It, you'd think we did. <laughs> we we would have thought we did. It was a it was a bizarre coincidence. 
uh, by which Jack means uh, all Marvel writers are constantly in contact with each yeah. other, and we absolutely, it's a really interconnected backstory mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, between all of us. It's it's a really it is. Just that was not. <laughs> that was that one coincidence. <laughs> All right. Once again, big thanks to Colin and Jackson for coming on the show. Um, And again, we're going to split this off. We're doing part two next week because there's just so much to talk about and so much to get excited about for Captain America Sentinel of Liberty. Yes. I mean, the sixth issue of this arc is hitting MU next week. So it'll be perfect just in time for the last or for the second half. And then as well as the collected edition uh, in trade paperback, if you haven't already uh, this week. So Definitely pick those up and read along with us. Got to love it. But that's it for us. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos and Jasmine Estrada. Brad Barton is Pull List Senior Manager of Audio Production and Development. Joel DeBoff is our Director of Audio. Be sure to email us at pulllist at marvel.com. You can use the hashtag Marvel's Pull List over on Twitter. But then you can also make sure to rate and subscribe uh, wherever you listen to your podcast. Uh, Give us a five-star review. Uh, let us know what you love to hear and you know we, it helps other people find the show yeah 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 thanks y'all I'm Ryan and I'm Jasmine and this is Marvel your universe